Man, thank you. Thank you, Gather. Gosh, it's incredible to be with you guys. Night four. Just real quick, if you've been here all four nights, raise your hand. Come on, give it up for these folks, all four nights. That's powerful. Such a blast to be able to be with you guys. And I don't remember how long ago it was that Paul had sent me a message asking me to come. And it was like, absolutely. We've tried to, we've tried to make this thing work for a long time. The hard part when, you're, when your best friends are pastors is you work on the same day. So, I mean, it's a, it's, a, you know, it's, it's a blessing we only work one day a week, but it's a bummer that it happens to be the same day. So uh, I said, Wednesday, man, I'm in. And it is an absolute, absolute blessing to be here with you guys. I consider it a great, great honor. Albemarle is always somewhere that will forever be just a special place in my heart. And uh, as, as Paul pointed out, my son Emery is here with me. Stand up real quick, but they didn't get to see you. This is my buddy Emery, my son, my youngest my sidekick, and uh, I always like for folks, I know that many of you have no idea who I am, and, uh, and so just to let you know, I don't come here on my own, I always ask my family just to cover me in prayer, and I know my greatest ministry will never come from a stage like this, it's going to come from my home, so I want you to just at least know that one, um, I married way up, so I have a picture of my family right here. And so this is my gang. We, we, we all went to Uganda this summer on a missions trip with our church. And so this is literally standing at the Nile River through Uganda. And so my wife, Michelle, I know it looks like me and like four kids, but that's not the case. My wife is in the blue shirt. We just, this summer, we celebrated 19 years of marriage. And it's been amazing. Best 12 years of our life. Those first seven, we just learned if you don't give up, it will get better. You always say better or worse, but we were worse before we got better. But she's absolutely amazing. And then my oldest here, he, I just want to clear up, he looks taller than me in this picture. But dads, you know that when your son starts getting close to your height, like you're always bigger and you can always beat them. That's my oldest, Riley. He's uh, 16. He's, uh, man, he's growing my faith. So parents, if you've ever had to ride a shotgun in your own car with your kid learning how to drive, you'll, your prayer life goes to another level. We just finished 21 days of prayer where we met at 6 a.m. in the morning. You want to grow your faith? Get in there with like a 15-year-old, 16-year-old driver. You don't need to get up at 6 a.m. to grow your prayer life. Just ride with an inexperienced driver. So that's Riley. He's awesome. He's into all things computers and video and video games and stuff like that. And he's a junior in high school. Then my daughter's over there beside me. Her name is Kenley. And Kenley is uh, 14 going to be 15 in October. Check this out. Monday, she started driver's ed. How is that even a thing? How's that legal? I don't even know. She's big time into volleyball, and she's a freshman in high school, made the JV volleyball team, and so super proud of her. And then Emery, you met him already, but he's like little mini-me, you know, wanders off easily, and um, I've never been a fan of a kid on a leash, but if we did put a kid on a leash, it would have been him. And so just, uh, we're in, he's into skateboarding, into biking, and so he's along with me for the trip. And that's my gang, man. That's my family. And I want you to know that they're covering you and they're covering tonight in prayer. And so, man, thank you guys it just, just for having me. It's an incredible honor. And six years. Can you give it up? Your church celebrated six years. Happy belated birthday. It's incredible. So I know that I missed it by a few days. I think, Jay, were you here on the birthday? So, man, I, you know, I, belated, belated, okay, close enough. But uh, anyway, it is an honor coming here and hanging out with you guys. Coming into town, I had to stop at Log Cabin and get some barbecue. And, uh, man, you know, we got a lot going for us there at the beach, but barbecue is not one of them. And so that was just amazing. And, and, and even being back in Albemarle is, goodness, is like memory lane. I know... Um, Paul, you, you talked about being here, starting in, in youth ministry. I, I worked at a church in town from 98 to 2002. Somebody say that's a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born back then. But, I mean, I, I remember, like, I was here when, when the donut dinette was Joe's donut dinette, and Joe made the donuts. Who remembers that? I remember, man, that's, that's what I'm talking about. Old school. So many memories around this place, and you know, when Paul and I became friends, I didn't know that I wasn't allowed to be his friend. See, I didn't know that coming from a Baptist background, and he was an Assemblies of God background, that we weren't supposed to get along, but we did. And uh, it, I just, I love, 
I love the unity that has, I think has been birthed over time, and Paul, I think you were a big part of that, and uh, you've been a big part of my journey. You know, so many memories, I could just, man, I could go on and on, just driving around, I took my son past the drive-in theater, he'd never seen a drive-in theater before, I was like, man, showing him our first house, I was like, man, there's, I pulled up in front of our first house, the first house we ever bought, and I stopped, and I pulled my phone up to take a picture, only to realize the dude was sitting on the porch. How many know, I'm like a total creeper now, and so... I was like, I used to live here. Don't call the cops. This is all cool. Man, so many memories. It's like a family reunion. Philip and Jennifer up here were teenagers in my youth ministry. Little lovebirds. Amazing. Amazing. I got to be the commencement speaker of North Stanley High School, class of 2000. Phenomenal honor. I couldn't believe it. And uh, they had said, hey, we, the, the student body has voted, and they want you. And I was like, get out of here. What an honor. And eventually I said, like, who was I running against? And I found out there was a card that they checked off. It had two options, Jeff Capusta and then other. There, there, it had to have a name in there. It was me running against. I was like, thank goodness I won that one. But nevertheless, just an amazing thing. And Anyway, on and on and on from winter retreats to, to you guys didn't come to hear all that. But, but I do want to say this. I do want to just appreciate your pastor and, and, and Wendy. You guys, thank you for modeling faithfulness, modeling it in your marriage, modeling it with your children. Uh, I don't know if you know this, church. That's, that's a rare quality that you have in your pastor. Would you just give it up for your leadership right now? I thank you guys. I, um, you know, it's fun to come and, and, and make jabs and tell stories, but I have a huge appreciation for your pastor. Um, I shared this with you a while back, Paul, but we were, so, so just, I know you guys don't know me, and I pastor a church in Wilmington, North Carolina called Life Point Church, and it started out as a church plant. I never wanted to start a church, and, um, you know, I, I was in youth ministry. I thought, God, I can do youth ministry, but I can't be one of those real pastors. I used to think that maybe there was, like, a different difference in, you know, like, pastoring and youth pastoring. I've learned as a little, the responsibility is a little bit different. But all of a sudden, have you ever figured out in life that when you think you've got it figured out, God's like, ha-ha, gotcha, and, and he shuffles the deck on you and calls you to something else? Well, I had been in youth ministry for about eight years, loved it. Thought I'd spend the rest of my life serving teenagers. And God started putting this call on my life to start a church. And I wrestled and I ran and I didn't want anything to do with that. And, and um, kept telling God, you got the wrong guy. And I gave him all the reasons why I can't do what he's called me to do. And, and, and eventually ended up stepping out in faith saying, all right, God, I don't think it's going to work. But if, you, you know, if, if this is what you want, let's do it. And our church really, it, it took off. It was amazing to see what, you know, what, what God was doing and how he had... He had tilled up the soil in Wilmington, and I think there was a hunger for a new church, and we got to really connect with a lot of people. In the first four years of our church, things just took off, and it was almost surreal. And uh, about year four, we hit some bumps in the road in ministry, and my leadership, I, I realized that I, I wasn't that strong of a leader, and uh, a lot of the things we had built were beginning to fall apart, and people that had been coming had stopped coming, and I just got to this place personally where I... I don't know if you ever had one of these moments, pastors that are here, Jay, maybe, uh, where you come home from church, and on the service, like, that was awesome, yeah, high five, God's so good. You get home, and you're like, that was horrible. It's the worst message I've ever preached, and people, you know, it's like, it just didn't go well, and, and I, I had just gotten to this place where I felt like if I have to come up with one more creative idea, one more, like, it, like I felt like the pressure of it was all on me, and I literally had this knockdown drag out with God where I told God, if this is ministry, and there was a lot going on in my family, and, you know, I had a staff member that, it, that had kind of, we had to let go, and, and it all blew up, and I just had this in, in the closet in my bedroom, this kind of all-out lay into God, God, you can take your church and shove it, I'm done with this. I don't know if you ever get honest with God. I take great comfort when you read the Psalms like David, he gets really honest with God sometimes. When he's mad, he's like, God, if you smash their teeth in, if you've never prayed to God, smash somebody's teeth in prayer, you haven't gotten honest with God yet. So I, I'm having this moment where I just felt like I needed to just quit. Like, I'm done, God. And I felt like what God responded and was like, it's about time. You know, maybe you'll let me lead this thing. And it set me on a journey, and it took me back to my friendship with Paul. And I remember Paul being from this Assemblies of God church, spirit-filled guy, but he wasn't weird. I mean, I know you guys would argue with that. You're like, well, well, 
he, he's weird, but not like kooky. You know what I'm, you guys know I'm talking, you, you know what I'm talking, you smell what I'm stepping in. He was weird, but not like, not like super strange. And I, I started leaning into that relationship and remembering a lot of what he'd share with me. And anyway, I don't know how much of that I'd share with you, but it was your influence in me that led me to discover what a relationship with the Holy Spirit is really about. And I found a power and a strength that, um, it transformed my life and my church, and I, and I thank you so much for that, for having that. So, so in closing, let me just say, no, I'm just kidding. Burned up all my time and just happy to be here. Man, I'm so excited. So if you've got a Bible, do this. Um, open to 2 Kings chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, get out your smartphone. If you don't have a smartphone, Look at the TV. If you can't see the TV, borrow your neighbor's glasses, whatever you got to do. So, so I want to take you to a passage in the Old Testament. And there's a guy in the Old Testament named Elisha. Elisha. Not to be confused with Elijah, all right? You know, there's two different characters in the Old Testament, Elijah and Elisha, okay? Elijah and Elisha. Say them with me. Elijah and then Elisha. So Elijah, big time player in the Old Testament, prophet of God, did some crazy stuff. We're not talking about him. We're talking about Elisha. Elisha is the guy that follows after Elijah, still does some pretty amazing things. I want to take you to a moment in his life where God does something powerful through him. And so in 2 Kings chapter 4, let's do this. Let's all stand to our feet as we read the word of God. I like how you opened us up with that, Pastor Jay. And so as we read this, let's take this passage in together. The Bible gives us this story, and it says, The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except. Somebody say, except. Nothing there at all, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. Somebody say, another one. Bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time, these four nights of just leaning into your presence. God, I thank you for your presence. Thank you that there's no name higher or greater. Thank you for this encounter, God. I think about Moses, who kept saying, God, who are you going to send with me? Who are you going to send with me? And your response was, I'm going with you. I'm sending my presence. And he said, God, if your presence don't, doesn't go with us, don't, don't send me from this place. I don't want to go without your presence. Lord, I pray that what we experience tonight is your presence. You are here, and we welcome you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. We ask you to bring comfort where it's needed conviction where it's needed. Challenge us, God. If we've gotten comfortable, push us out of that complacency. And I pray that your word would accomplish all that you have for us in this time tonight. We pray this in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So today, I want to talk to the folks. I want to talk to somebody tonight who You've heard all the sermons about God doing something amazing in you and through you. You've heard the stories about what God has done in other people. You've listened to sermon after sermon. You know the stories. And you're thinking, Pastor, I hear you and I believe that God can. But honestly, if I'm, if I'm going to shoot straight with you, I'm not so sure that he will. I know that God can do great things. I know God has done great things. He's done it for other people, but if I'm shooting straight, I kind of feel like maybe I'm the exception. Maybe I'm the one 
that's not going to see God do something great. Like, I know God wants to forgive me, but you don't know my story. I, I'm, I think I'm the exception. Pastor, if you knew what I did, you, you probably wouldn't say that to me. I know God can heal, but I've been asking, and it hasn't happened, and maybe I'm the exception. I've heard that God's got a plan. I got Jeremiah 29, 11 on the wall in my house. But man, when's he going to fill me in? Like maybe I'm the exception. You know, God, in my marriage, it's, it's beyond repair. You don't understand what happened. You don't know the level of trust that has been broken. And, and I know that God has restored. I just don't know that he will. Maybe I'm the exception. Or maybe this. Maybe you're here on night four of Encounter and you've come every night and you've been seeking something from God. You've seen other people receive what they've asked for, but yours, what you're praying for hasn't happened yet. What you're believing for hasn't happened yet. And you're like, well, maybe it's just not going to happen. Maybe I'm the exception. I want to preach a message to you that I've titled, No Exceptions. Would you write that down? There's a note sheet on each of your chairs. If you've got a pen, would you just write across the top real big, No Exceptions. Write that down. No Exceptions. On the count of three, I want everybody to say, there are no exceptions. Ready? One, two, three. There are no exceptions. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are not an exception. I don't know what you have believed. I don't know what you have seen or what you've heard. But I want you to know that there are no exceptions. Go back to this story real quick with Elisha and this widow. So what's going on in this story? This widow's husband has passed away. He's dead. The money is gone. Creditors are showing up saying he owes some money and you need to pay it. And if you don't pay it, your sons are going to be hauled off as slaves. I mean, this woman is at the end of her rope. Now, here's what I know. In our world, some of us don't have to think real hard to imagine what she's going through. You've been there. Some of you are there right now. You've come through here, and maybe you, nobody even knows where you're at. You smile, you sing, but deep inside, there's some stuff going on, and there's some hurt, and you, you're, you're in that place where you can connect with her. You understand, like, if something doesn't happen now, game over. She's done. And all of a sudden, Elisha says to her, you know, she comes to him, and she's like, here's my predicament. My husband, your servant... All right, he's worked alongside you. He's dead. So she tells, you know, kind of paints this picture. And I, I like how Elisha responds. He says this. He says, well, tell me, what do you have in your house? Now, she wasn't expecting that. I mean, her predicament, she's expecting for somebody to say, man, you are in a bad place. Stinks to be you. I tell you what, you know, I got, here, here's the money that I have. Like, I'm sure she's expecting some help. Not for somebody to take an inventory of her house. Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she says, your servant has nothing there at all except, there's that word again, except a small jar of olive oil. Listen, what do I have in my house? I have nothing. I've had to sell everything. Maybe she Craigslisted it, eBay, I don't know. She sold it, or maybe there was nothing to begin with, but there is nothing left. I mean, well, technically not nothing, but there's a little jar, a small jar of olive oil. Well, she's about to discover that God is really good at turning nothing into something. I mean, isn't that what he does? I mean, if you go to the beginning of the Bible, at least my Bible, I don't know if it's in yours, but in my Bible it says that the earth was formless and empty, there was nothing and yet out of nothing, God created something. And so we have a God who's really good at turning nothing into something. You know, the pantry may be empty and the money may be gone and all there's a little bit of oil left, but, but that's something. She didn't see it that way. She said, I've got, I've got nothing except this little bit. I want you to know that if you feel like you have nothing, that you need to look again. If you feel like you're in a place where you have nothing, go back and look harder. There is always something. Always something. I have nothing except this jar of olive oil. I want you to know there are no exceptions. There's always something. Always something. Would you write this down? I'm going to give you just a few just big ideas that I want you to take away from this passage. Write this in your notes somewhere. What we see as an exception, God says, is enough. Would you write that down? What you and I perceive to be as an exception, I'm the exception. She says, I have nothing except this little bit of oil. 
She, she expected Elisha to go, wow, you're right. That is pretty bad. Let me see what I can do. But instead, he said, all right, let's work with that. Let's work with that. She had to expect Elisha to agree that she's up a creek without a paddle. You're in a bad place. But here's the deal. Elisha is a man of faith, and faith sees things differently. Now, for what it's worth, faith does not ignore the facts, all right? Faith does not ignore the facts. It chooses to believe the truth. The, the facts are all she had was a little bit of oil. The truth is she had enough. She had enough. I don't know if you've ever taken inventory of your life. The facts of your life may say that your marriage is beyond repair. The facts may say you're in a bad place financially. But the truth says that God is still able to do immeasurably, immeasurably more than you could ever ask or imagine. The facts may say the odds are against you. But the truth says that God is for you. Listen, don't ignore the truth, all right? Don't, don't base everything on the facts. Choose to trust the truth. The truth is that it's not over until what? Is, some of you said till the fat lady sings. That's wrong. That is so non-PC, okay? It's not over till it's over. Faith, faith chooses. Now, this is a choice we make. Faith chooses to view problems through the lens of God's promises, I mean, you know, God's got promises for you in his word. This is why it's so important that we get in God's word. His word is like a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. You ever feel like you're walking through the darkness? It's because you haven't turned on the light. You gotta turn on the light of God's promises. And faith says there may not be much, but God promises that he will provide. My God is much. And my God, I mean, last time I checked, there's a verse in here somewhere that says my God will meet all my needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus. Think about that. Your needs, not now, sometimes we think, well, God, my needs and my wants get a little blurred sometimes. I'll be the first to admit that. But God says, I'll meet all of your needs. She had a need, and God had the ability to meet that need. And I love that it's according to his riches, not ours. So often we look at what's in our bank account, and we look at what's in our pantry, and we look at what's in our house, or we look at what's in our skill set and our talents, and God says, no, 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 you're looking at the wrong balance sheet here. What others see as problems, God sees as possibilities. Can I tell you, your limitations do not limit God. Quit shrinking God down to the size of your time, your talents, your bank account, your resources. So I love how Elisha's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. Here's what we're going to do. And this is where it doesn't make any sense. Like a lot of times, stories in the Bible just don't make sense. So, you know, you see God do this all the time. You see God take somebody that's in a situation that seems like they don't have enough, and he turns it into more than enough. You know, our church, we do missions trips all the time. We do missions trips in Uganda. We do missions trips in Nicaragua. And I hear over and over and over people trying to raise money. They're like, I would love to go on one of those trips, but I just, there's no way I can come up with that money. And I'm like, think about what you just said. There is no way that God can position you to do whatever needs to be done, to raise the resources, to take you to a place where you can share the gospel with other people. You don't think God's capable of doing that? And I see people all the time just think, like, I don't know how this could ever happen. But what we discover is that when we step out, God steps in. When we step out in faith, God steps into our situation. We want God to work a miracle, and God says, give me something to work with. So often we forget that God parts waters when we get our feet wet, if we'll step out into the water, that's when God begins to part. So many times we're like, God, you part the water and I'll step in it. God's like, you step in it and I'll part the water. We're like, you part the water and I'll step in it. He's like, you step in it and I'll part the water. You ever been there? God, if you would just do something, then I'll trust you. And God's like, how about you trust me and then watch me do something? You know, it's like, God, I ran the numbers and uh, I, I did the pros versus cons. I put it all on paper. I ran the numbers. But when I get to the bottom of the sheet, there's nothing left. I'd love to trust you, God. And God says, why don't you trust me and watch me multiply. Watch me, we, me work. Watch me restore. Watch me do what's possible. So here's this lady. And she's told to go and gather as many bottles as possible from her neighbors. This doesn't make any sense. Eli says, go get, go get all the jars. Go get some jars. And so she's like, all right, boys, go to the neighbors. And and uh, nowadays, we, you know, we don't go to our neighbors. Nobody really goes to their neighbors for things anymore, do we? Like, hey, go get some sugar, go get some milk, go get some flour. Now we just go on Amazon, and we order it. It shows up in like 30 minutes, and little drones are flying it in. So, so they go. This is before Amazon, if you're not familiar with the story, before Prime. And uh, 
So she goes, she sends the boys out to the neighbors, and they're like, hey, you got any jars? And you can imagine the neighbors are like, what do you need them for? And they're like, well, you know, I can't really tell you. Can't really tell you. So, so they get these jars, and then she's told to come in and close the door behind her, and she's supposed to take this little bit of oil and start pouring it into the jars. Now, come on, think about this. If I have eight ounces of oil, and I'm going to pour that eight ounces of oil into another jar, and let's say I pour eight ounces of oil into this jar, how many ounces are left in the original jar? Zero. Some of you were like, carry the one. Hold on. I had eight ounces. I poured eight ounces out. Obviously, there's some around the side. Some of you were like, well, technically, all the oil didn't come out. and it's a... Right? It, it makes no, this makes no sense. It makes no sense, but we're told that as she did, something miraculous happened. The oil kept flowing. Can you imagine the very first jar? She's like, <laughs> all these stacks of empty jars, like, okay, <laughs> do what the man said. And they're pouring, pouring, pouring. About the time that jar is full, there's more oil. You're like, wait, wait a Hey, guys, come here, come here, come here. Watch this, watch this. Get another one, get another one. Pouring, and there's more. Like, get out, get, give me another one. Pouring, pouring. Give me another one. Give me another one. And the oil kept flowing. Something supernatural began to take place. She had to act in the natural, and God did something in the supernatural. Can I tell you, don't ever forget, God does not need us. He invites us to be a part of what he's doing. I think about it like this. One of my favorite passages, Proverbs 21, 31, gets quoted a lot. It says, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests where? With the Lord. You ever heard somebody say that? You know, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but victory rests with the Lord. Now, you need to know this. I'm going to let you guys in on my life a little bit. I tricked my wife into falling in love with me. I mean, it, I had good motives, but my wife grew up in Tennessee, lived in Texas. She's a country girl. Grew up riding horses. I am somewhat allergic to horses. However, how many of you know, like, when a dude is determined, he can overcome a lot. And so, in order to spend time with her, I had the opportunity to, you know, through college to get her a job working at this ranch, 200 acres, 13 horses, so we would ride horses together. And I learned something that day. I learned that if you want to ride a horse, you need some time because you got to get the horse. Now, some of you have horses, I'm sure. I, uh, so so I, I didn't know much about horses. She had to teach me. And so I became full-on cowboy to win her over. Guys, I had the boots. I wore Wranglers. I had a buckle that could double as like a dinner plate. I had a wallet that was this big. It made no sense. I was so easy to pickpocket. I mean, it stuck halfway up my back. But it was what, you know, I had a hat. I had, I had the whole deal. And so I became this cowboy, and so we would have to get the horses. Well, over 200 acres, getting the horses ready to ride was a chore. You know, we'd stand at the barn and yell, but these horses didn't come. I had to go get them. So I had to get a lead out of the barn, walk through the field, drape it over their neck, hold it, walk them all the way in. When I got them in, I had to, you know, put the halter on, and I had to hook them up. Then I had to brush the horses. Got to brush the, which just gets the dander going all in your face, snots running. You're like, I love horses, baby. We'll get a ranch someday when we have a family. And brushing the horse because you got to get the briars the burrs off the horse then you got to get the blanket put the blanket on the horse then you got to get the saddle put that saddle on the horse then you got to get the girth and you got to get it tight but you can't just pull it tight one time what do you got to do you got to get the horse to step forward so that it lets the air out of its belly so you can put your knee in its side so you can pull that thing super tight get it strapped down get the stirrups right then you got to get the bit and get it in his mouth come on I'm trying to get her to fall in love with me make me look like a cowboy come on when all of that is said and done, then you don't even feel like riding horses anymore. <laughs> like, well, that's all the time we have for today. You're like, okay, what does that got to do with anything? Here's my deal. I learned that if it's our job to get the horse ready for battle, victory rests with the Lord. I wonder how many battles never get won because we just didn't feel like doing the hard work of getting the horse and getting it ready. We have to get the horse ready in the natural. And when we do, God does something supernatural. The natural is I'm going to take this ridiculous instruction in my eight ounces of oil and pour it out because we all know that when I empty this into there, it's going to be gone. I mean, I'd be like pouring it into this jar and then pouring it back. <laughs> Nothing happened. But she did it in obedience to ridiculous instructions of God. 
And we begin to see something supernatural happen. She'd fill a jar, set it aside, fill it a jar, set it aside, fill a jar, set it aside. And here's the second thing that we take away and she learned. Write this down. All you have is not all you have. All you have is not all you have. What do you have? I have nothing. Ah, except this little jar. She discovered that little jar was way more than one little jar of oil. I want you to know that all you have is not all you have. In your hands, all you have is all you have. But in God's hands, all you have has the power to multiply. You see this multiple times through Scripture. You see this when Jesus has 5,000 men plus women and children. And he's like, you feed them. And the disciples are like, yeah, right. And that little kid shows up with some fish and chips. And they're like, well, this is all we got. Send them away. And Jesus is like, that's good enough. Tell them to sit down. And all of a sudden, that little bit in his hands multiplies. We serve a God of multiplication. There are no exceptions. We got, you know, better send them away. All we got is this, you know, we got nothing except this little bit of food. All you have is not all you have. I remember when we were, uh, our, our church, our, our church spent six and a half years portable, so I feel your pain. Gathering, I feel your pain. Uh, we've been in a facility now since 2012, and um, there, there's times I miss the portable days. I know you guys think, yeah, he's crazy. There's just some, there's just some intensity, and uh, anybody here on the setup and teardown team here? Raise your hand. That's, that's a rowdy, but y'all, y'all ain't right in the head. Like ninjas, man. See, because everybody else thinks that the equipment fairy shows up and just pops all this stuff in. And then when church is over, it, they just pop it all out. But they don't. And, and so I remember when our church was going from being portable to permanent. And uh, I'm preaching big faith like God is in this thing. And deep inside, though, I'm like, Lord, I better, please. You know, and you're telling people, God's got this. But then, you know, privately, you're like, I hope he does. Because I'm, otherwise, I'm a false prophet. And they're supposed to stone me. And, and I just remember this, you know, Trying to, to have faith for something. We've ne- I've never been through a campaign like that and raising resources. And, and I remember my family, my wife and I were praying about what God would have us to do. And we started the church with nothing. And we hadn't really, you know, been able to save a lot. I went into ministry right out of college, which basically means I've been broke my whole life. And so I'm like, we're going to give, my family's going to give the biggest gift we've ever given. Which, let's just be honest, wasn't a whole lot. Because we never really had a lot to give. But the Lord, as we were praying, put a put a number on our heart that, um, honestly, I was like, okay, God, but for real, what do you want us to give? I mean, you ever, you ever been there? You're like, you, you get an idea of something, and then you're like, I, I've got, I know what's in the bank, and I know what's coming in, and um, it's not, like, nothing, I could sell a kidney, maybe, or a child, maybe, and so I asked my wife, who's usually more spiritual than I, baby, have you, you know, has God given you a number? And she's like, well, yeah. And she told me it was the same number that I had. And I was like, oh, man, okay. I, I should have been excited, but I was like, where's this going to come from? And I, I remember God just, I remember feeling this stirring of like, don't let what's in your hand limit what's in your heart. God's way bigger than what's in your hand. And so everything we could do, we did everything in the natural that we could do. We, we you know, we cut things. We, you know, we, we didn't have a lot to cut. We didn't have cable, but we scaled back on things to try to save. We stopped eating out so we could save. And, and uh, as we were nearing the end of this, this campaign that we were doing, we were about, we were close to $3,000 short of meeting what we had, what, what we felt like the Lord put on our heart. And, and there was, honestly, there was nothing. There was nothing. Like, what, what did we have? We had nothing. Except I had this sock drawer in, in my, my, my bedroom, in my dresser. And uh, long story short, so when I was a teenager, someone gave my dad a watch, okay? And uh, it was a Rolex, but we're pretty sure it was fake because it wasn't working. And, uh, but I, every once in a while, would put it on just because I, I could be like a baller. And uh, so I'm rocking with this, you know, Rolex, and, but people are like, what time is it? And it wouldn't work most of the time. It's like, I don't know. And I'd like try to, this is before everyone had iPhones, but I'd get my, my flip phone, my Nextel out, and... Uh, Remember that? People don't know that we didn't have smartphones back then. I mean, my first phone was like, yeah, who had a bag phone? Who had a bag phone up in here? Yeah. Y'all, the young generation doesn't know. Anyway, 
Long story short, long story short, I, I had always wondered about that watch because every once in a while it would work and then other times it wouldn't work and, and you know, I didn't have any paperwork for it or anything like that and I always wanted to take it somewhere and find out if it was real, but I was always too embarrassed because I didn't want to get there. And they're like, this guy thinks he's a Rolex. <laughs> what a moron. Do you not have Google? They're like, I, I figured, you know, I, I don't want this. So one day my wife's like, hey, do you mind if I take this over to this, this jewelry store? I was like, no, go ahead. Better for you to be humiliated than me. And uh, she sends me a message later that day, all caps, it's real, exclamation points. They want to give us $2,700 for it. What do you want me to do? I was like, sell, sell, sell. <laughs> For all I know, it's stolen. I don't want them to trace it back to us. And The Lord can use a stolen Rolex, all right? All things belong to him. I don't know where it came from. It was my dad's fault. Anyway, it, what was so amazing in that moment was that I knew that that had been set aside, guys, we're talking like 15 years of sitting in my sock drawer. What have you, I got, we have nothing else to sell except this fake Rolex. Oh, it's not fake. Had I, had I found out months earlier that that was real, I would have probably sold it and just blown the money on something for myself, another guitar, some golf clubs, who knows what. And it was like the Lord saved it for that. So in the natural, we did what we could and, and it positioned us. It was our way of stepping out. And here's what we learned. Write this down. This is the third and final thing that I'll have you just jot down. When you are faithful with what you have, God will provide you with what you need. When you are faithful with what you have, God will provide you with what you need. See, when she was faithful with what she had, God faithfully provided all that she would need. There's always more than meets the eye. Just because you can't see how God is going to work or use you doesn't mean that God can't use you. You know, one of the things that I love about this church is that this is a church that is about creating places for people to use their God-given gifts and abilities to be a part of the team, to make an impact for eternity, to transform this city. I love that. But I know if your church is anything like mine, most people don't feel like there's a spot. They're like, man, I didn't go to Bible school. I, I don't know how I could serve. I don't see how I could be a part of it. And what happens is we become spectators in something that we were created to be a participator in. And some of us are like, I'd love to serve, but I don't have any skills. I mean, except like technology. I can program my DVR. Awesome. There's a production team that could use your skills. Man, I don't really have any skills except like kids. I make them laugh. Hey, you know what? There's a spot for you here at the gathering where you can use your skills to make kids laugh. A lot of times we think, I'd love to be a part of it, but I can't because I don't have anything. And I would say, look again. There's always something. Some of you, your next step is to take a card, find Pastor Paul, find your, your leadership and say, hey, I've been sitting on the sidelines for too long. I thought I was an exception and God couldn't use me, but I realize there are no exceptions. God's got a spot for me. Listen, I know it's easy to walk away from a message like this and say, man, I sure wish I could, but, you know, I'm not able, I'm not talented, my schedule doesn't work, and they don't want me, I'm not qualified. And he's talking to everyone except me. Turn to your neighbor right now and say, you are not an exception. Tell him right now. Turn to the one on the other side that you've ignored the entire evening, all right? Say, you, you are not an exception. What if I told you that you have exactly what you need to do exactly what God is calling you to do. Let me say that again. I want that to sit for a minute. What if I told you that you have exactly what you need to do exactly what God is calling you to do? What she saw as an exception, God said, was enough. Now think about this. The miracle didn't happen when the oil stayed sitting in the jar on the shelf. Some of you, there's a miracle waiting to happen in your life, but until you get off the shelf, pour yourself out on behalf of someone else and watch how God pours himself in. Listen, God cannot fill a vessel that is full of himself. If we would pour ourselves out, if we would pour ourselves out, every time she poured out, God poured in. Think about that. Jar number one, she poured out, God poured in. Jar number two, she poured out, God poured in. Every time she poured out, God poured in. Let me ask you a question. When did the oil stop flowing? When she ran 
out of jars. Look at that verse again in 2 Kings 4, verse, uh, 4, verse 6. When all the jars were full, I love it that we have a God that is capable of filling all the capacity. He's a God who fills things. When they were all full, she said to her son, give me another one. Yeah, at this point, she was just filling them. Like they had an assembly line. Another one. Boom. Another one. Boom. Give me another one. There, there's not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. It stopped flowing when she ran out of jars. Let me say this another way. It stopped flowing when she ran out of opportunities. When all the jars ran out, that's when the oil stopped flowing. And if this wasn't enough, this is amazing. She's got all this oil now. <laughs> like oil for days. Verse 7 says, she went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Think about this, okay? Think about this. She went from having nothing to more than enough. Don't miss this. God took nothing and turned it into more than enough. Like she has leftovers when she had nothing left. That's pretty amazing. Only God can turn not enough into more than enough. But I wonder, what if she refused? What if she refused to pour out that little bit of oil? What if she refused to pour out all that she had left? I want to invite Philip and Jennifer and the team to make their way back up here. I just want you to think about this. I mean, we're left to kind of wonder. The Bible doesn't tell us what would have happened, but I can imagine because I see it a lot. I see people that refuse to pour out the little that they have. They hang on to it. Maybe it's a scarcity mentality that says, God, when you give me more, then I'll pour it out. And God says, how about you pour it out and I'll give you more? My Bible says that if I'm faithful with a little, that I can be entrusted with much. I wonder what would have happened if she had just gone back that day from the man of God and said, well, boys, I got bad news. This is all we have. We're going to ride this out. We don't know if the creditors are going to come and haul you off. We're not sure how this is going to play out. I wonder how that story would have gone. Probably wouldn't be included in the Bible. But for many Christians, that's where we live our life. We've been on the shelf for a long time. We haven't exercised our faith. We've looked at our circumstances and said, I just don't see how how I'm ever going to get out of this. I don't see how my marriage is going to get better. I don't see how my relationship with my teenagers are ever going to improve. I don't see how I'm ever going to kick this addiction. God can do it. I know he can do it. I've seen him do it for everyone else, but maybe I'm the exception. Can I tell you, you're not the exception. You're not the exception. This is true in every aspect of our life. I see it with people when they trust God with a tithe. They run the numbers and there's not enough at the end and they step out in faith and all of a sudden God does something miraculous. It's what he does. It's his job. The victory is his. I see him with relationships. At our, at our church, we've done several remarriages of couples who were married, got divorced, hated each other, met Jesus, fell in love again, and we remarried him again. Like, don't tell me it's too late. Don't tell me it can't be done. I see it when people step out to serve. I promise you that if you will pour out what you have, God will pour in what he has. And I'm telling you, he has so much more than you and I could ever pour out. He can multiply in more ways than you could ever imagine. Let me just ask you, gathering, what's God saying to you in our time together? What is it out of this message that he's saying, man, there's an area of your life when you've been, you had a scarcity mentality and you thought, I don't know what, what, I don't know what to do. I'm going to ride this out. And God's saying, don't ride this out. How about you step out? You step out and I'll step in. You stretch your faith. You exercise it. And watch me move in a great way. Some of you, you were prayed over earlier because there's a situation in your life where it seems like there is no hope. I want you to know that if you'll do what you can do, you'll get to see what God's going to do. But you got to pour out. For some, It's beginning to trust God in areas of your life that you've never trusted God. I'm always amazed at people that will trust God with their eternity, just not with their reality. God, I'm trusting you forever. I'm going to spend eternity with you. But I can't trust you with right now. I can't trust you in this job. I can't trust you with my finances. I can't trust you with my marriage. I can't trust you in this relationship. How can you trust God with eternity but not reality? And I just want you to know that God wants to do a work, and he can do more. And I believe these four nights were just setting the stage. I believe that the passion that you brought these four nights is going to transform this community. But you know how it's going to happen? When the people of God pour out. When the churches pour out. When the churches stop worrying about 
you know, storing on the shelf and having a surplus and trusting God and utilizing what they have, you're going to discover that God will fill it up. He's filled up this bar. You know, you better start thinking through when God fills up your facility that you're going to be moving into soon. And when he fills up that service and fills up another service and fills up, it's what he does. As long as you keep pouring out, the day you decide we're done, we're creating opportunities, the oil will stop flowing. Your job is to keep creating space for God to fill. And when you do, you're going to see him pour and pour and pour and pour. Can I pray for you, gathering? Heavenly Father, keep putting ridiculous opportunities in front of these folks. I imagine this woman never looked at a jar of oil the same way. Lord, I pray that for every vacancy that this church experiences, be it an empty seat, you'll fill it up. An empty facility, you'll fill it up. A new campus someday, you'll fill it up. Lord, a void in this community of you, you're going to fill it up. God, as long as they pour out, you will pour in. And I know there are situations in this room right now. Lord, there are situations that have never been spoken to another person. But as we speak it in faith, as we step out and pour ourselves out, you will pour in. Let's do this, church. Let's just stand to our feet for a moment. And I'm going to ask the team, if you'll just lead us back uh, through the chorus of song. And as we do this, I want your focus right now to just be, God, what are you saying to me? It's so easy to sit in church and be like, man, I wish so-and-so was here. I sure hope my husband's listening to this message. God did not bring you here to listen on behalf of someone else. There's something he wants to say to you. And the question is, are you going to walk out these doors when we wrap up in a few and just keep doing what you've been doing? Are you going to say, all right, God, you have me here in this community at this church, or maybe this isn't your church, and you're going to take this back to your church and be like, we got we to gotta create some capacity and pour ourselves out. Maybe it's, God, you got me in this neighborhood. My kid's on this little league team for a reason. Let's just take a moment and let's ask God, what are you saying to me? What am I supposed to do? What is in my house that I've been overlooking? It might be in your sock drawer for all you know. Maybe in your pantry. Maybe your talents. Could be in your bank account. Could be in your experiences, your giftings. What is it that you've been overlooking and you thought wasn't enough, not good enough, not smart enough, not courageous enough? And God says, oh, no, no, no. If you'll give it to me, it'll be more than enough. Let's just ask him as we worship together. Mm. Man, hasn't God just been amazing over the last four nights? Can we just give him some praise? I mean, like, you know, we brought Pastor Jeff all the way from Wilmington to kind of wrap the whole thing up. And I just want to say, nice try. Nice, nice try. Hope it's better next time. Man, wasn't that amazing? Come on. Golly. Uh, listen, I've, I've been praying, I mean, long before this event about this moment. And I've been asking God, how do you wrap something like this up? How do you close it all out? And here's what he told me. He told me to tell you a vision that I had about 10 years ago that I've never told anybody but Wendy. And it happened in a church on an Easter Sunday morning. And I don't know how you feel right now, but if, if you don't go to church, then you're not really going to understand this. But come back to our church on an Easter and you will. This feels like Easter in church, right? Like you're just celebrating this risen king and it's exciting and there's energy. And we were in a church and worship was amazing. It was fantastic. We were just caught up in it. And as everybody's just raising their voice around me and, and it's amazing. It's just like it is tonight. While I'm eyes closed, I had this vision. I've never had one like this before. It was crystal clear. And I saw Jesus walk out of the tomb. And then on the other side, I saw a line of tombs as far as I could see. 
and they just popped open and people walked out of those tombs and looked at Jesus and just began to clap and clap and clap and cheer and I was on the inside like that's amazing and then they all turned around and walked into their tomb and shut it back now I know that's a downer of a way to end this thing right I get it bring Jeff back Let's not be that church. Let's not be the church that closes an event. But let's be the church that walks in resurrection power from this place. Because the resurrection of Jesus changed everything. His power has been in this place for four nights. It will still be here. It will be in your car. It will be, believe it or not, at your job. It will be, this might be harder to believe, in your living room with the same family that you came here arguing with. The resurrection power of Jesus changes all that. No exceptions. No exceptions. And so I'm going to pray over you the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you want that, raise your hands. Father, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we have sung about that name all night long and the three nights before this and the Sunday morning before it and the Sunday before that and we'll sing about it again this Sunday. In the name of Jesus, the name that at every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. In the name of Jesus, I pray that you would release the power of your Holy Spirit on your church. I pray that you would release the power of the Holy Spirit on the city of Albemarle, on Stanley County. I pray that you'd release the power of the Holy Spirit on Concord, on Wilmington, on Charlotte at Hope Church. I pray that you would fill your people as we just, I love this message, as we pour out what you've given us. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that fills us. That is the oil. That fills us. And so right now, God, I mean consume us in the power of your spirit. That everywhere we walk, everything we say, there'd be a touch of the power of heaven. And people would want to know about this man, Jesus. Because of how we carry him to a city that needs and wants him. So we leave this place in freedom. In victory, we leave this place having been in the presence of Jesus. And our testimony is what is written in Acts. That they took note that these men were unschooled, ordinary men. But, but, they had been with Jesus. We have encountered you. And we will not be the same. In the name of Jesus, somebody say amen. Amen.